What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Keep It Posy podcast. My name is Jasmine, and this is episode 85. I hope you are doing well. As always, there is a ton going on, and I just want to take this moment to remind you to take care of yourself and do what you got to do for your well-being and mental health. With the help of this week's guest, we are going to learn about this week's nonprofit organization featured in the Posse Spotlight. Founded in 2008, Tranquility Trail is a nonprofit organization with a mission to rescue, shelter, and find forever homes for every animal that finds its way to them. Tranquility Trail specializes in the care of senior and special needs rabbits. The organization relies on donations, fundraising programs, and their retail pet supply store to support the sanctuary. Every donation they receive ensures that their programs serve those animals that are lost, abused, neglected, or unwanted in the community. To learn more or make a donation to Tranquility Trail, you can visit tranquillitytrail.org. This week's episode features Gil of alternative punk rock band Ghost in the Willow. Earlier this year, the band released an EP titled I Was Once a Charming Man. In this episode, Gil and I talked about the EP, Pearl Jam, The Replacements, and more. This was a fun one. You gotta give the EP a listen after you're done listening to this episode. Here is my conversation with Gil on the Keep It Posy podcast. Yay. All right. Can you hear me okay? All right. Yeah. I think I I figured it out. I've only done this a handful of times, so I'm still kind of like, what does this button do? (laughs) Oh, yeah. No worries. Um, But anyway, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, I'm excited to be here and do your stuff because I always see my friends posting that they've been on your show. So I'm always like, one of these days I got to get on there. So, uh, but today it was kind of like nerve wracking. I'm like counting down the hours. Like, okay, at 6.30, at 6.30, I got to find a good room to do this in. My dogs are usually really noisy and they're really chill right now. So I'm hoping to keep that going for them because sometimes they bark and it's just, it's it's a hassle, but I'm doing really, really well. How are you? Uh, I'm good. It's been a crazy month. I mean, I'm busy all the time, but man, last month was wild. Um, well, I'm flattered that you, uh, were trying to hop on. I mean, you know, I'm not Matt Pinfield or anything like that. Um, <laughs> well, few are. <laughs> um, and that, uh, yeah, dude, I mean, well, it sounds like we have mutual friends. I know that, you know, Elijah. Mm-hmm. Um, That's correct. And he's a good dude. Elijah, yeah, Elijah. Yeah. yeah, Elijah's awesome. What's up, dude? Earlier this year, you released an album, or excuse me, an EP. Yes, uh, I think, to me, technically, it's an EP, but I think Spotify and the digital distributors considered it an album, so it's an EP to me, though. And the name of the EP is I Was Once a Charming Man. To you, how do you feel this release is different from your previous releases? Well, we put a lot more effort into it, for one. The songs are slightly more thought out. We actually got Elijah to produce it, 
So that was one. So Elijah came out from Nashville. He produced it and he mixed it. Um, so that was a lot of fun. It, we, we took it just a little bit more seriously than the last ones that we had done. The first EP was very much just kind of a little bit of trial and error because we were working in a studio that we hadn't worked in using a producer that we hadn't worked with, or sorry, an engineer that we hadn't worked with. And um, I kind of didn't really know what I was doing either. And for what it's worth, it came out pretty good, that first one. So as the years went on and my songwriting kind of changed to a little bit more of less singer-songwriter-y and more of based around a full band. Um, based around the four-piece band, I wanted to have like a band dynamic and a band cohesive and sound like four guys playing music. And so we kind of had to up the game a little bit by choosing a different studio and uh, trying to get outside ears in because we always kind of kept everything in-house. We always tried to trust ourselves. And I wanted to kind of hand that trust to somebody else like Elijah because I had known him for a couple of years at that point. And excuse me, on top of him being a good dude, he had a grasp on what I wanted to achieve sonically that... And sometimes I didn't know. There were instances where I didn't know what I wanted sonically, and he would fill in that gap of, well, how about this, and let's try that, and let's do this. And we did it all in a week. And um, there was, like I said, there was just a little bit more of a seriousness that went into it, even though it took only a week to uh, to uh, record. But um, it was very much, it was a very enjoyable experience. You know, we recorded it here in Tempe with Derek Fish, and... Uh, you know, he had done some other stuff with us and we just got to being so comfortable being in the studio with him. Elijah fell in really comfortable with him, with Derek to as like a little duo in the, in the control room. And that's just, that in itself was just very different because I had, a, I had more of a fixed goal in mind of, of, make, of how I wanted it to sound. And I think we achieved that for that moment. And then the pandemic happened and we kind of had to pump the brakes on it and couldn't put it out. So we just sat on it until this year. It's out into the world now. Yes, finally. Uh, yeah, we recorded it in December of 2019. So it finally came out January of 2022. So just over two years it took, you know, for us to kind of put it out and just to kind of see, we were trying to gauge how the world was going and how, you know, we didn't think things would be shut down for as long as they were. We didn't think touring would be gone for as long as it was. And it just was like, well, let's just keep that in our back pocket for right now. So I'm just, I'm glad it's finally out and I'm glad people are, are listening to it. And, and um, because it's been two years, I'm already listening to it and hearing things I don't like that I want to do next time around that. Oh, I should have thought harder on that part or, Oh, that guitar part. I could have done it better. You know what I mean? So I'm hoping the next one that we do will be an evolution of that of this current record. So what does the EP mean to you? Every record I've done has always been a bit of a snapshot of my frame of mind at that moment. And for me, this record means uh, an evolution of not only my music, but of myself as a person and, you know, changing and keeping the wagon moving forward and, you know, we've had a different number of lineup changes and everybody's got their own personality on this record from my bandmates. But so to me, it's just something that is just a one more step further than what I've done before. And so therefore it does represent something different to me. You know, it's something different compared to what I was doing previously. 
So, and, um, but I put a lot of, there's, there's a lot of heart on this record that at, at the time I didn't think I was able to kind of expose, you know, songs like subconscious drinking problems and, uh, thumbing with every heartstring, you know, sometimes when I write lyrics, they just kind of flow out on an unconscious level. I don't think about it until way later. And this one to me kind of represents that little snapshot of myself in that moment two years ago. And I'm hoping other people, when they do listen to it, find something of themselves in it too. So if you don't mind taking me back to the beginning, because everybody has an intro to how they discover music and they learn about it. You know, and obviously, I'm sure you've had your road. You're here now. You're playing music and you're putting stuff out. What was your introduction to music and musically? How have you gotten to where you're at now? Wow, uh, that's a that's a deep question on many levels. Um, I I don't have a lot of early childhood memories in general. I'm still trying to work that one out with my therapist, but I. I think my earliest childhood memory I can remember as far as music goes that got me into music was um, probably Buddy Holly and Elvis Presley because uh, in the 90s they had this, NBC would broadcast old episodes of the Ed Sullivan show. They were doing like an anniversary special or something like that and every week they would play an old music clip from the Ed Sullivan show and I was always into Elvis as an entertainer because he was everything I wasn't, you know, a thin white kid with great hair. You know, those are, <laughs> those are things I never was or will be probably. So I, I really enjoyed seeing that from an entertainment value. But when I saw Buddy Holly on those Ed Sullivan show reruns, uh, he made me want to pick up a guitar because I'd never seen someone geeky and nerdy play a guitar before. And I just thought it was fascinating. So that was when I was like eight or nine years old. And then it just, that image stuck with me. And then uh, I, I come from a Hispanic background. And so the movie La Bamba was also always playing for some reason or another. It was always playing either in the house or on TV. So as a Hispanic kid, I kind of related to that in a, in a little bit of a way. You know, my, my mother came from, very, uh, came from a very modest background in, in uh, Salinas, California, and my dad's family was from L.A., and even though we didn't necessarily grow up with a lot of Hispanic identity, for some reason, that movie, it stuck with me, and, and it took me years to figure out that that's what it was. I thought it was just the songs and the, and the story, and, you know, it and but it really looking back at it when i watch it now it reminds me more of my own childhood more than anything because i remember sitting on the floor watching that movie so that's probably my earliest um musical fascination was was that movie and then that's how i kind of got more involved into buddy holly and more involved into richie valens and buying biographies and reading books and trying to find all the information i could and every time I'd get into a new artist, it would name drop other artists that they were listening to. So then I'd go look into that person and so on and so forth. So I spent a lot of my early years listening to a lot of fifties music, you know, and then when I got a little older, 
uh, maybe in my teenage years, it was Oasis, you know, and um, well, Oasis was like earth shattering for me, just the electricness. I had never heard anything that captivating before. And uh, it kind of evolved from there. Everything just kind of took little baby steps along the, along, along the way. And then uh, sometime in my late teens, I got into punk rock and Nirvana and the Seattle scene and, and grunge music and heavier music. And, and I liked it. it. I liked the sincerity and the honesty of those grunge bands. And it seemed to come from a, from a real place, from a real emotion. Um, maybe I couldn't necessarily identify with it directly yet, but it, it, it tingled something within me. And then I just kept playing that. And then by the time that happened, like, you know, new metal was out and I wasn't a fan of it. You know, pop punk was out. I didn't like it. I liked Black Flag. I didn't like Blink-182. You know, I liked, um, you know, the, 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 the Dead Boys, not so much some 41. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? So I kind of went off on those tangents. And then the guitar just evolved with me from there. I, there, there was never a day I was without one. And um, it, just, it just seemed like great escapism. I don't know what I was escaping from, maybe just a feeling, but it just felt like a place I could go and dis- disappear to in my mind when I, would, when I would listen to those records. And I wanted to channel that same type of emotion. When I eventually started writing my own songs, I wanted to channel that same version of excitement or some version of, ex- of excitement that I felt into my own songs. And then, uh, you know, I couldn't really join any bands because no one was really playing what I wanted to play in a band. So I would hang around a lot of bands. I had friends that were in bands. So I'd hang around with them and hopefully I'd meet somebody that was somewhat like-minded. And eventually I met a few people and that were great at the time, and, and, but it wasn't quite clicking. And then, uh, I, oh, yeah, geez, there's just so much to, to really say. But uh, then I fell in with uh, my buddy Sean Harris, who is the current drummer for Ghost in the Willow. Uh, I was in a band with uh, another mutual friend of ours, Russ, and we had a band called uh, The Combat Medic. And that was more like a, like a dead Kennedy's Nirvana type sound. And with a little bit of against me in there too, in kind of the little song structures. But so anyway, we just kind of catapulted that. And then combat medic kind of took its, it it ran its course. And then I started to fall into more, um, a little bit more hard on the sleeve type stuff. So that's when gaslight Anthem and Dave Hawes and Frank Turner um came into the came into my peripheral you know but between all that the replacements was a big one there's only a handful of bands that i really 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 latched onto outside of pearl jam because for years i had a huge pearl jam fascination and i was like just obsessed over pearl jam and then the only band that kind of broke it for a minute was when a friend of mine gave me a replacements best of and the songwriting blew my mind like just the songs and just there was a viciousness to it, but like a delicate, like a sloppy drunk that means no harm, but falls ass backwards into the couch. And you know that like I, so the, so I wanted to bring that songwriting aspect of the replacements with a little gaslight anthem with a little Springsteen and, and a little bit of Menzingers in there. And that's kind of 
uh, became a template or a blueprint for what I'm doing now. And then um, I revisited it against me many, you know, a couple of years ago too. So that's been a huge in- influence on me currently at, at, at the moment. But um, it was always about the songs. It was always about a melody. It was always about a toe tapper. If I could do that, I'd be okay. Sorry for the long-winded rant. Oh no, <laughs> it's all good. So sometimes, um, I, sometimes I, I, I get so long-winded. I'm like, what was the question? <laughs> no, nah, you're good, dude. Yeah, dude, La Bamba. I think I've only seen that movie like three times in my entire mm-hmm. life, mm-hmm. and it's because I don't know if I could go watch it and not cry at the end. It's just so tragic, yeah, man. It, it really is. It really is. And I, I had an older brother growing up that I rarely saw. And to me, you know, he was a thin, athletic, well-built Hispanic dude. So to me, like when I was, you know, nine and he's 19, he looked like a, a Richie Valens type to me. And I used to ask him, hey, can, you know, does, does your hair do that? Because my hair doesn't do that. And, <laughs> and then I found out later that we had different dads. So, of course, his hair could do shit that my hair couldn't do, you know. Uh, so I, I, I admired him a lot for that. So I saw Richie Valens in him quite a bit cause he was a hell of a guitar player. My, my older brother, but yeah, La Bamba is one of those movies that it, it's so sad, but it's written so well, even though it's not hundred percent accurate most of the time, but it has this heartfelt story behind it. It's a very American story, I think. And I, I you know, depending on how you grew up too you're right there is kind of like there's i mean i would think i'm not going to speak for every hispanic out there but Mm -hmm. it's kind of like there is a little bit of something for us in that film yeah you know yeah with yeah like whether it's it's you know mom making the homemade homemade tortillas in the beginning and uh you know trying to make honest money or you know loving her family trying to keep her family together you know, it's, it's, it has all of those elements in it. You know, there's an absent father, obviously, you know, the guy died, you know, early on. So there's, there's the absent father figure thing, you know, there's the animosity of siblings. It's, it's, it's got everything but the chancla practically, I feel, <laughs> you know. You talk about all these bands that kind of you were drawn to, mm-hmm. you know, you had your thing with Pearl Jam, and then it wasn't until the replacements you started listening to them. You're like, all right, I'll give PJ a break here, right? Yeah, um, I did. I did. It, it, it took about 10 years for, wow, me dude. To, for me to, there was a good 10-year period that that's all I listened to was pretty much Pearl Jam or Pearl Jam adjacent bands, like bands that they were affiliated with, you know, but it was through Pearl Jam that I got into bands like The Who and Sleater Kinney and uh even the clash to a certain degree as well but yeah there was a lot of pearl jam obsession when i hear it now like they have a new record out that i can't really i can't get on board with yet i'm still i'm still trying i'm really trying (laughs) but you know their, their first five records are kind of where it's at for me so what was the first album that you ever bought i don't even, I, I think with my own money, I remember being gifted the La Bamba soundtrack on cassette when I was a little kid, but with my own money, there was this CD, uh, it was the Beavis and Butthead Experience compilation CD, <laughs> and 
or, may, or maybe it was a tape. I think it was a tape. Yeah, it was. I bought the CD later because I hated fl- flipping over the tape. So it had a lot of music that I wasn't really familiar with at the time, but I loved between songs. There'd be like little, there'd be Beavis and Butthead little like audio sketches in between each song. So I used to listen to that constantly, but it, you know, it had Nirvana on it. It had Anthrax, it had Slayer, it had the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, I think, yeah, Megadeth was on it too. And yeah, 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 that one, that one's actually still stuck with, with me. I still listen to that compilation at least once or twice a year. I'll, I'll put it on for nostalgic reasons and cause I, I get a good laugh out of it, you know? But yeah, I think that was the first one I bought with my own money. I think I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Dude, that's awesome. Uh, I want to thank Beavis and Butthead for creating <laughs> Daria. <laughs> yeah, dude, <laughs> dude, it's so good. I need to revisit Daria because I think I I think I was too young to appreciate the irony of it. So now that I'm a little older, like I really want to revisit it from like an adult point of view. And I'm like, I think it'd be a really funny show. Didn't they come out with new episodes recently? Did they redo it a couple of years ago? I think what they did is that they just started showing it again. Okay. Okay. Cause I, um, yeah, I thought, I thought they were going to do new episodes, but yeah, you could be like a, like remastered or something. And maybe that's what it was, but yeah, I got to go check, check this out. I had a roommate that was really into that show and I should probably bug them and, and uh, see if they can let me borrow some DVDs or something, unless you know where I can stream it. I, I'm not 100% sure because I have the DVDs myself, okay. including okay. the movies, okay. mm-hmm. but I want to say it's on Hulu. Hulu? Okay. I'm not I'll, sure, I'll, though. I'll have, um, to take a look, I'll have to take a look. But yeah, dude, man, no, you would appreciate it a lot more now. I hope so, because I could use a little, little bit of an appreciational pick-me-up from an old TV show. <laughs> dude, it's so good. What was the first concert or show you went to? Uh, I, that I started going to concerts in like officially going to concerts in 98. I think my parents might've dragged me to a couple of like their type of stuff that they were into before that. But my first concert that I can, that I officially claim as my first concert is Pearl Jam. (laughs) I saw Pearl Jam in July of, I remember the date, July 8th, 1998. And I was like a freshman in high school. I wasn't a fan yet, but that was the first concert that I went to. I wasn't a fan yet. My best friend in 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 you know middle school, high school, uh, my buddy Steve, he was like a Pearl Jam nerd, and I didn't get it. I was still listening to Oasis at the time, and then one summer, yeah, Pearl Jam was coming to town, and my aunt, whom I, whom I spent a lot of time with, my aunt uh, used to hang out with. She basically watched me and my friends because, like, my dad was going through um, cancer treatment. My mom kind of wasn't really around, so my aunt kind of looked after me quite a quite a bit. She was like my parent, my parent figure during during those years. And she was like, "Well, hey, like, you know, why don't we get a couple tickets for you and your friends, and I'll chaperone, and I'll, you know, Steve likes Pearl Jam, so let's go see Pearl Jam, all of us." And I'm like, "Okay, cool, I'll 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 go, whatever." And it changed my life. I didn't know, I didn't know it at the time, but it, it come, yeah, it took about a month for that concert to sink in because I couldn't get over it. And I remember we had nosebleed seats and I distinctly, I distinctly remember 
when they went into even flow that just the slide of the first riff just to get that first note that that first riff i remember the mosh pit just exploded it just like opened up i had never seen that in person or had even heard of it but it, yeah because we had these nosebleed seats so you could have a clear view of the floor and this, this circle pit just erupted right in the middle of it and i was like well that's exciting like I, I had never seen that before. So yeah, that was, that was my first concert experience. And then from then on, I, for about, about 10 years, I, I was going to every concert I could at that, you know, that, of bands that I was into, of course, I saw Stone Devil Pilots a lot. I saw Page and Plant when they came through that, that same year in 98, but, but yeah, Pearl Jam, July 8th, 98 on the Yield Tour. That was my first concert. Dude, that is so sick. I feel you on the on how you can't get over your first show. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> the same thing happened to me. Um, <laughs> but dude, it's that's a bu- aw- it's a buzz that you chase. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. There's a certain there's a certain buzz to your first show. I guess for me it was it felt more natural because I wasn't even into the band. Like I I wasn't a fan. And maybe that magnified my love for it that much more was because it it changed my mind of the band. It changed my pers- my perception of that band. And I wound up being a diehard fan for the next 10, 12 years. And, but yeah, you're, you're constantly, I feel, I feel like I was constantly chasing that first experience, that first excitement again, every time when, when I would go to go to a concert. Yeah, dude, that's sick. What um, was your first concert? My first concert was, I also remember the date. It was Thanksgiving weekend, Friday, November 28th, 2003, at the Long Beach Arena. It was Good Charlotte, Goldfinger, and Eve Six. Oh, I remember that tour. That was a big tour. That was a big tour. I had a lot of friends that went, when it rolled through Arizona, that was a big tour. My friends, my friends at the time were really into Eve Six, so I think they all went for Eve Six. But I do remember that one. Yeah, dude, and I think you know how you talk about the mosh pit. I think mm-hmm. with me, it happened with the lights. Okay. Once they went on and like they started doing their thing, because my brother took me, um, and they were Good Charlotte was my favorite band at the time. It's like you see all these bands wearing all these band t-shirts. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, and then we go listen to them. And mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it's a ripple, right? Or it's a chain yeah. reaction. No Absol- pun intended. A- abs- absolutely. Um, but so I'm like, dude, this is like the coolest thing ever, man. And just hearing like everybody singing along and knowing the words when they were just letting the audience sing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, this is so cool. I want to go to a show every day. Now I can't even hang, even though I'm, I went to like eight shows last month. Right. Dude, it's hard. Dude, it is. It like I, I I went and saw MXPX like last weekend, and just standing there, I was like, "This is this is hurting." Like like my my legs hurt. Like can, I, can like there's like there's nowhere to sit. I'm like, can I can I sit? I mean, so it was yeah. Like my my back was eight, like I think I, we left at like midnight, and my back was like all like, oh Jesus, oh man, it's all tight. I'm like this sucks, man. <laughs> so there was, I remember there was this sticker, you know, punk rock doesn't get old. They, it just stands in the back. 
Like that's that's totally what it is now. I'm like I just stand in the back now, you know, lean up against a wall or something. What three bands, dead or alive, would you play a show with, and where would you play? Where and with and whom with? Three bands. Wow. Well, immediately off the top of my head, I'd have I'd have to go with the replacements, and I'd love to play with the replacements in like a dive bar that's like not even sold out maybe they're too drunk but i'd love yeah i'd love to see like you know mid 80s you know barely able to play replacements when they're too when they're too drunk to to pick up their in their uh, in their instruments but they fumble through it anyway that would probably probably be one so the yeah the replacements at, at a at a dive bar ramones in south america i'd love to i'd love to play with the ramones if they like, because they were huge in South America and they'd play football stadiums down there. And that footage, like, I'm like, man, that must be some hell of an energy, you know, to just, if you were even like the first of four bands opening for the Ramones, like I'd love to do that. You know, I'd, I'd love to just have 20 minutes before the Ramones played to, to, to like do a set. So that would be, yeah, the Ramones in South America. For a third one, well, who's around current that I would probably Red Hot Chili Peppers? That'd be a that'd be a good one. That'd be a, that'd be a that that'd be a good one. Have you listened to their new album? I haven't yet. I I heard an interview with Flea uh, on the on Mark Maron's podcast, and that made me want to revisit their early stuff because my I had a friend who was really into the early stuff. So I put on Mother's Milk and I'm still listening to Mother's Milk all the time right now. But I want to get to the new record because John's back, you know. So that's that's the excitement right there. If John's not in it, I, I don't care. So I didn't listen to, to the last album. <laughs> but but this one with, with John being back on it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Oh, man. I went to Europe uh, like 20 years ago when By the Way came out. And I, I bought that CD in London and I would just listen to it on the bus, like all throughout Europe. And so whenever I hear songs off that record, it just reminds me of like the European countryside, you know, just rolling, rolling by. Yeah. For some reason that was, sorry, I had a little flashback with that one right now. So, but no, have you heard the new one? I haven't yet, but I've heard good things about it. Okay. Okay. They've been doing some live clips on like the TV shows, like Jimmy Kimmel and all this. So I, I want to start there because I, I love their live energy. So I want to see how the new songs sound in a live context. Have you seen them? Yeah, I saw them with the Foo Fighters in 1999. Yeah. So it was 99 with the Foo Fighters. And there was a third band. God, I can't. I can't even remember who who the who the, who the first opener was, but I remember Foo Fighters went on before the Chili Peppers, so the Foo Fighters opened, and I remember the Foo Fighters sounding really great, and then the Chili Peppers came on and they had all this energy, but their sound, like the the, the speakers in this in the venue, like didn't sound that great during their set. I remember being let down. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll have to catch him again another time. And then I never did. But I definitely want to make up for that and, and catch them again soon. 
Uh, rest in peace, Taylor, because that's just that came out of nowhere, man. I was dude, like, what? Yeah, dude, it's a bummer. Um, and I mean, only him and the band and his family, Taylor's family, only they know what that feels like. But it just sucks. It for the rest of the world, you know, for the rest of the world, <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like we lost a tremendous inspiration and a and a tremendous positive force. And for them, it's personal. It's 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 going to be different, you know. We lost we lost a talent. They lost their blood, you know, and that sucks. Yeah, dude. What's the best advice a musician has given you? That's a good one. Um, I feel like there's about a handful of musicians that I talk to on a regular basis that I feel like they give me pearls of wisdom all the time. And some of them stick and some of them don't, but I just appreciate the fact that they take the time to give me a little bit of nuggets. And I remember, uh, yeah, my buddy Brendan from mercy music, I talk to him pretty regularly and he always gives me little bits of encouragement of it's not so much what he says. It's the act of him saying to keep going, to not, to not give up. Cause there are a lot of days when like, I, I just want to, like, I, I don't have it in me to play music anymore or, or to write a new song or to go through all that hassle. And, but he's been very vocal about listening to me when I, when I have to complain about that. And he just, he just tells me to keep going, you know, and he's a nerdy guitar player like I am too. You know, we obsess over like guitar heroes and stuff like that. So yeah, I really appreciate it when he just kind of tells me just to keep, just to keep going. Dude, that's awesome. I wish I could have seen those guys last Friday because they played out here in Anaheim. Yeah, that's right. At the House of Blues. I saw them with MXPX the night, then the next night. In here in, yeah, here, in, here in in Arizona in Arizona, and, but hopefully um, they come back soon because um I hope so. the 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 world needs them more than they think the world does. You know, they're the real deal, whether they know it or not. And you know, I got nothing but respect and love for those for those guys. Yeah, me and yeah, Brendan and I got really close during the pandemic, just like because I I we tr- traded guitars. We we're guitar nerds, so we're, we're always talking gear. And, uh, so I got to meet him like right at the beginning of the pan of the pandemic, you know, I had, he had a guitar that I wanted to buy off of him, but didn't have any dough. And he's like, Oh, well, do you want to do a trade? And I'm like, yeah, cool. So we did a trade and we met in the middle of the desert in like Wickenburg. (laughs) Yeah. Cause he's in Vegas and I'm in Phoenix. So we met in the middle and we've just been been buds ever since, you know, and I just, and I I love that guy very much, whether he knows it or not. And, uh, he's just been, he's a tremendous songwriter and a tremendous person. So I really give him a lot of, a lot of, a, a lot of props, you know? Yay. What's your favorite thing about music? My favorite thing about music is everything. It's, it's a, it can be, music can be a very personal thing or it can be a very public thing. And for me, 
the favorite thing about it is how it can it can move you for better or for worse it can it, it it can move you physically it can move you mentally it can move you emotionally it can provide the sound to an emotion that you didn't know had a sound it it can just be there it can be your friend that's listening not to give you advice but can just hear you and you can hear it it can make your day worse. It can make your day better. A lot of people focus on the positive aspects of music, but I like to dwell in the negative aspects of it. <laughs> you know, like if I'm having a bad day or if I'm feeling really sad, there are certain records I put on that I want to magnify that sadness or badness so I can get it out of me faster. Like I don't put on a happy record to make me feel happy. I don't put on a sad record to make me feel sad. I put on those records to make me amplify whatever emotion I'm in at a, at a, at a given time. And that's what it means to me. And and that's, that's why I, I love it so much. Yeah. How do you keep it posy? How do I keep it posy? I, by just keep, doing by just keep moving like just just to keep focusing on something else and focusing on something better you know if something sucks i have to remember that just because it sucks right now doesn't mean that it's gonna suck tomorrow or that it'll suck later so i keep it posy knowing that it's going to be posy later dude that is so sick and it kind of goes back to the dwelling Mm -hmm. um or like totally okay if you're having a bad day and it's like dude i just like let me chill for a minute yeah let me feel this for a second yeah and just i'll get back to you Mm -hmm. and then you're like all right a couple of days later right you know what i feel better now (laughs) yeah absolutely and that's and that i think is very positive It, it a lot of people can get really dark and it's hard to be positive but there is positivity in that darkness i think eventually you know whether you write a good song or paint a good picture or just have an outlet for for something but um yeah i just i I just have to keep reminding myself tomorrow's another day my mom used to always tell me in in in, uh, spanish mañana es un otro día you know so that's what i always kind of kind of have to carry that around once in a while that's that's what i remind myself of Dude, that's sick, man. Any last words? Anything else you want to let the people of the music world know? Yes, I'd like to let them know that after they listen to Subconscious Drinking Problems or my new or the, the new Ghosts in the Willow record, I was once a charming man. After they, they listen to that record, I'd really like them to go listen to uh, the new for the most recent mercy music record and i'd like them to go listen to the newest uh, love breakers record so yay So that was my conversation with Gil. I highly recommend you give Ghost in the Willow a listen. To keep up with Ghost in the Willow, you can follow along on social media. 
The Facebook and Instagram handle is at Ghost in the Willow. The Twitter handle is at Willow underscore Ghost. Thank you again to Gil for being a guest on the podcast. If you haven't yet, please check out the Keep It Posy podcast playlist. You can find it on Spotify and Tidal. Short on Luck has been added to the playlist and it's off the band's latest EP. If you like what you hear, please head on over to ghostinthewillow.bandcamp.com to purchase the music. Additionally, the band will have a compilation of covers coming out soon, so keep your eyes on the band's social media for that. As always, you can hit me up via email or social media, keepitposy.com for all the contact info. Thank you again to everyone for listening to another episode of the Keep It Posy podcast. Please take care of yourself and watch out for each other. Stay posy always. And remember, life is like a mosh pit. If you see someone fall, you gotta help that person get back up. <laughs>